Everybody, this is Michelle O'Neill with O'Neill Wasaki Family Lawyers in Dallas, Texas. Today, we are so excited to bring you our Contempt Litigation and Appeals webinar. Uh, we are joined today by two lawyers in my firm and then also by a judge, a former judge. So today with me, obviously, I'm Michelle O'Neill. Uh, I've been doing contempt litigation and family law for 28 years, uh, which makes me sound really old, but that's okay. I'm also joined by Jerry Height, who's a partner in my law firm, and uh, he does a lot of contempt litigation at our firm as well. Carrie Bertrand is one of our associate attorneys at our firm, and she's gonna help me uh, talking about the appellate remedies particularly. And then we're very honored today to have retired Judge Bill Harris. He's retired out of the 233rd District Court in Tarrant County, Texas. I brought him in specifically to talk to you guys about this contempt litigation, because in my practice and all the judges that I have practiced in front of, Judge Harris is the most technical, judge on contempt cases that I ever practiced in front of. He did criminal litigation as a lawyer, and he really always was very conscientious to follow all the rules that should be followed very technically in contempt litigation. So we're really excited to hear from him. Um, that I think covers the introductory session, so uh, hang out for just a minute and we will get started. Keep in mind that this is a webinar that's aimed at attorneys. This is for continuing legal education. If you're out there watching this, this webinar and you're not an attorney, we welcome you to watch it. But remember that we are not giving you any specific legal advice. We cannot comment on any specific case or situation without knowing all the facts. So if you need legal advice, this webinar is not a substitute for legal advice. Please, please seek the advice of a lawyer as to your specific situation and get specific advice to that. Because if you rely on just what we're talking about here, we're being general, we're talking about general legal pr principles that may not actually apply to your situation. This is for continuing legal education only and we cannot create an attorney-client relationship just through the video camera, okay? Thanks. Welcome back everybody. Uh, this is Michelle O'Neill with O'Neill Wasaki Family Law. So here we go. The first topic that we're going to present to you today is contempt as an enforcement remedy. So this is gonna be a pretty general overview of contempt and enforcement remedies from kind of the thousand foot level. And then the other presentations will dig in a little deeper. All right, everybody, so let's get started. Contempt as an enforcement remedy. I think a lot of times people confuse the words contempt and enforcement. So um, Judge Harris, if you don't mind kicking us off here, let's talk about what's the difference between the term enforcement and the term contempt. Well, I think enforcement is a, is a very broad area. It entails use of contempt, uh, post-judgment orders, all sorts of things that are available under Texas law to enforce a judgment. But contempt in, in the family law context, particularly in the enforcement of support and possession access orders, is the most effective because it's the scariest to people because uh, a criminal contempt can, can put you in jail up to 180 days per violation. 
and be fined $500 per violation. So that's the sort of thing that gets people's attention more so than, than perhaps a writ of execution or something like that. So what are some other remedies for enforcement that aren't contempt, just so we can draw those distinctions? Well, if you have a judgment, uh, particularly a child support judgment, uh, there's just, well, a child support judgment never goes away. It's one of the few judgments in, in the law nationally that you cannot shake. So a child support judgment is, is, is uh, they'll collect it even after you die. Mm -hmm. uh, under Texas law, we have the uh, turnover statute where you can have a receiver appointed to uh, require the uh, person you're force enforcing against to turn over non-exempt property. Uh, and and you, you have what's called a charging order in which you can actually force a partnership or a limited liability outfit to turn over a partner's share as a as a as a collection tool so yeah. there's there's a variety of things you can use but uh, contempt i think is by far the most Serious. commonly scary used. Yeah. i like that scary yeah <laughs> jerry are there other um enforcement remedies that you can think of besides the ones we've talked about so far in property there's specific performance you can uh, uh if there's a provision for instance requiring that uh, one party sign off on a transfer of property or physically deliver property then uh, you can have the court uh, uh, require them to specifically perform that act at a date and time certain and if they say well i don't have the property it's gone then the court is empowered to grant them a money judgment for the value of whatever property that's magically disappeared since the uh, entry of the decree and then in regards to possession you can of course always order makeup time right right so carrie are there any others that you can think of like especially in the child support realm there's some other avenues that you can use to to get um, get compliance that don't involve a, a deprivation of liberty uh, right I think they can uh, restrict your ability to renew your driver's license or other professional licenses they can capture your tax return funds um, at the state level I've had clients call in and say I don't know where my refund went I'm like oh do you have a child support judgment guess where um, it went exactly <laughs> they can uh, garnish your bank account uh, they can get pretty aggressive, and like you said, it doesn't go away. So, I can tell you when the legislature passed the statute on the licensing, mm -hmm. particularly hunting license, <laughs> <laughs> you would be astounded how much effective. compliance we got from the people who wanted to go out and, and want to uh, go dove hunting and deer hunting. Dove hunt. and deer hunting. <laughs> it, uh, it was. Well, it, I mean, it is Texas. We have our priorities, right? Yeah. I mean, we do have our priorities. That's right. All right, so uh, in order to be enforceable, so, so we've talked about enforcement as the umbrella remedy. We've talked about the different types of, of remedies that are available for contempt, uh, contempt being one of them, but also the other types of remedies that are available for enforcement. Um, so in order to enforce an order by contempt, Judge Harris, what are the basic requirements that an order has to have in order to be enforceable by contempt? Well the requirements under texas law have been set out by a line of of cases that define what you have to have 
in a, in a nutshell, the order has to be clear and specific. It has to it has to command someone in order language. It has to have language that says this you know that conveys an order as opposed to a condition or something like that. It has to be valid, and there's a lot of ways for orders can turn out to be not valid. But the 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 clear and specific nature of it is where there's a lot of Texas cases. Uh, the Slavin case says has to be clear and specific. There's a case, I can't remember the case name, that says if it orders a person to do two different things and they do neither, they can't be held in contempt. Uh, there's just a lot of the a little variations on that. But uh, but the, the biggest thing is clear. Most of these things fail on being clear and specific. Yeah. I had uh, the Dupree case many years ago, 2003, that was actually the first seminal case on whether you can enforce contractual alimony by contempt. And uh, one of the things that was interesting about that case, and there have been some cases since then uh, that talked about kind of a similar issue. But in that case, instead of saying it is ordered, it said the parties agree that blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. The parties agree that blah, blah, blah. And so that was one of the issues that that the court pointed out, you know, that that took it out of contempt land, even if it had been chapter eight maintenance, which they determined that it was contractual alimony and therefore not contemptible. But even if it had been chapter eight, the fact that it did not have order language was uh, was a key. So so order language is obviously kind of a a bottom line, right? Of, of having a clear and specific order and then having like spelling out the, the obligation. In other words, it can't just say, you know, something vague about what you're supposed to do. You actually have to have the time, place, you know, specifically laid out as to what you're supposed to do. So Carrie, you, you read the slaving case before we got on air. So talk about the slaving case. That's always the, the main one that we quote, just almost like, like everybody ought to know it. But I think sometimes, you know, we, we shortcut around things. So tell me about the slaving case. So the slaving case, there were three children and the father was ordered to pay child support and the child support language basically said that he would pay the child support every month as long as the children were um, um, above the age of 18, or under the age of 18, sorry. And so it was unclear as to when uh, the child support would end because as long as all of the children were under 18, he would continue to pay the child support, but you know, it didn't say that he would continue to pay it for each child for that entire time. So he, I think he stopped paying it after the first child turned 18 and didn't, and decreased the amount by agreement with the mother. And then, she filed for enforcement wanting to enforce the full amount okay so when we talk about the slaving case in relation to these contempt things what's the kind of seminal point of why we talk about slaving well as he was saying that the the clarity and the specificity of the language is very important i went through slaving i pulled out all the different verbiage they used to describe how the order needed to be worded clear, specific, unequivocal, may not mislead the parties, must state the details of compliance like you said, unambiguous, precise. It has to inform the person of the acts for which they're being restrained from doing. If there's restraint language in there, there must be a measure of certainty. If the order is too indefinite to be enforced, it's void. So like you said, there's a history of case law that they kind of piled into Slavin that you know led to all of this, why the order has to be so specific and and uh, it comes down to like a due process issue like you have to know what you're doing wrong and it has to be clear and unambiguous before it can be enforced against you by contempt 
So the most common types of orders that are enforced by contempt in the civil world, in our, in our family law civil area, child support obviously is the one that comes to mind. Um, possession schedules can be enforced by contempt. Uh, medical support can be enforced by contempt. Um, there's, but there's a lot of orders that cannot be enforced by contempt. So let's talk through some of those, and then I'll pose some, some questions to, to you guys about whether you think certain things can be enforced by contempt. So uh, Judge Harris, an award of property or an or a order to pay a, a, money judge, or a money amount? It has to be, an, <clears throat> money judge, it has to be an amount of money in existence at the time the judgment is, is, is made. Okay. And the turnover of property, it has to be clear and specific when the pro what property it is. Uh, it, it can't just say turn over the uh, the turn candlesticks. Over all the living room furniture. Or all the living room. <laughs> it has to be a clear specific award. And and a lot of times on these that's a real difficulty with contempt cases and a lot of lawyers will tell you experienced family lawyers and i think that you guys are all experienced enough to know that if you want personal property and things like that if you don't have it in your possession on the day that the divorce is granted you will never ever see it again so that is the reality <laughs> that's right? the reality of the yeah. situation yeah so okay so an order that says turn over all the living room furniture by a date certain probably not contemptible Correct. how specific do you think that needs to be i think it has to be specific enough where you can identify the individual piece of furniture like the red couch the red yeah. couch with the you know the uh, with the green stripe that yeah. might be an ugly couch <laughs> but or if it if it's a if it's a specific item like the the uh the uh, the football helmet signed by so-and-so athlete yeah that would be something specific uh, a collection of coins perhaps that, yeah, that would be specific okay but it has to be it has to be like Carrie was saying the the uh, it has to comply with Slavin and, and all those cases yeah as to you know clear language exactly what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it things like that so Jerry what about um, and I we see this fairly often what about when you have a ruling uh, that's like a memorandum ruling, but you don't have the order entered yet, and in the memorandum ruling, it tells somebody to do something by a date certain, and the order doesn't get entered by that date certain. Uh, is contempt a remedy for that? No. You so, need a final order, you need a or you need an order, and you need the action for which you're seeking to contempt to have occurred after the entry of the order. It's enforceable beforehand, but not by contempt. So let's let's have a scenario on that, and I'll be curious to get the judge's take on this. So so let's say you have um, a trial and a ruling, and that child support is supposed to start, let's say the trial was in January, and child support in the ruling is supposed to start by February 1st. And then the order doesn't get entered till mid-February, but the order says uh, that child support started on February 1st, but the order wasn't signed till after February 1st. How do you think that affects child support enforcement for February 1st? And then the second question is, how does that affect child support enforcement for all the dates after the order actually was signed? It's collectible. It's not enforceable by contempt. 
it's the same situation as you know in, in a lot of the urban counties that have associate judges you have associate judges reports you know what the associate judges report says everybody knows what it says you can't enforce it by contempt uh, with an exception if an associate judge's report is written out specifically to where it contains order language and all this other stuff, there are some cases that say you can enforce those by contempt. And it's the same way with a written rendition from the court. If it is specific enough, which I know mine typically were not. My right. rendi written renditions were just the recitation of my, judge, my, my decision. And uh, they were not written specifically enough to to support contempt and that brings up an interesting point and and, and we will uh, post the case name in the comments because i can't think of it right now off the top of my head but there was a case out of collin county i think recently where there was a memorandum ruling mm -hmm. and the court of appeals held it to be an order actually the order because it contained all the correct order language in it and that i think the lawyers on that got caught by surprise that that uh, i i have in in contempt classes i've taught and presentations i've made in the past i have always opined that that is the case mm -hmm. i i don't I'm not aware. I was not aware of any cases until the Collin County order came down that actually confirmed that. But it's always been my opinion that you could, if the other criteria were there, it was enforceable by contempt. But so many of the the renditions, an associate judge's report where it has a fill in the blank and all that, they're just they just don't they don't right. get there. Right. And so one of the things that I think you have to have as distinguishing between a memorandum ruling versus an actual order would be um, language indicating that this is the order in other words if it says in the in the ruling if it says you know the petitioner is to prepare an order in compliance with the texas family law practice manual by a certain date then that would naturally mean that the judge did not intend it to be the order. Exactly. But if it actually says it is ordered and, you know, signed on and whatever, I mean, I think it's probably the order. I think you're right. <laughs> and obviously outside of contempt litigation, but that creates a problem from an appellate standpoint if a lawyer misses that. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about geo restrictions. I have had a case recently where um, a party moved outside of the geo restriction and um, and and so there was some questions about what enforcement remedies um, are available and whether contempt is a remedy that's available for forcing compliance with geo restriction what are your thoughts on that judge Harris well <clears throat> I think that a, a geographic restriction I don't think, my personal opinion, I don't think it's enforceable. It is specific enough to be enforceable by contempt. Because geographic restriction typically says that is that so-and-so has appointed the, you know, the primary or what, whatever the language is of the child with the right to establish the child's residence, primary residence in blank county. Well, that is a right, but it is not an order. It doesn't say it is ordered that so-and-so shall maintain the child's primary residence in X county and of course then there's a you know even a trickier deal that I've run into before uh, and it's a matter of interpretation 
But if it says, well, for example, the order says maintain the child's uh, primary residence in Dallas and contiguous counties. Well, you know, depending upon your interpretation of that, you could be every county in Texas because all the counties in Texas, all 254, are contiguous to, to one another. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the lawyers have gone around that by drafting it to say Dallas and counties contiguous to Dallas. Yeah. So. Very good. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's an important point. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's splitting hairs, but <laughs> it is splitting hairs, and I'm not sure that most judges are as technical on the hair splitting as you are, yeah. which I am going to point out the irony of hair splitting. Yeah. <laughs> it's not lost on me. But but I, I, I'm not sure that most judges that I practice in front of mm-hmm. would, would split those hairs quite so closely. Yeah. But I think it is a point of, of interpretation that when it mm-hmm. says Dallas County and contiguous counties, that is an imprecise drafting. Mm-hmm. Where if you say Dallas County and counties contiguous to Dallas. Dallas County, then it does uh, tighten that up a little bit. I think the biggest thing on domicile restrictions is that the judge is probably going to, at least on a temporary basis, make the person that violates it move back or bring the child back. You know, obviously under the Constitution, the judge can't make anybody live anywhere. Yeah, the adults, except the children. But the children, they can. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's typically what your remedy is going to be. So do you think that, that changing custody is a remedy for enforcement on a geo restriction? I think that I think you sure could be one, yeah. Interesting, because I, I, I think it's an open question. My opinion is that there's kind of a loophole here mm-hmm. in, ge- in the enforcement of geo restrictions because while I think the judge can order the party to move the children's residence back to the county by a date certain, mm-hmm. and then that act could be contemptible. I, I agree that generally speaking, the geo restriction probably wouldn't be contemptible, but there's a case, um, I, I, I handled a case uh, in Ray MAM, which we'll post the link in the comments, that um, said that you can't modify an order in an mm-hmm. enforcement order. And in, in MAM, the judge in that case modified the child support in an enforcement order because it wasn't in compliance with the amendments to the statute. And the, the Court of Appeals set aside that modification and said an enforcement mm-hmm. order can't modify an order. So I'm not sure that I think that a judge could flip custody um, on a, on an enforcement order, there'd have to be a temporary hearing with the standards, and with the oh. standards being so high, on modification on temporary order, you'd have to prove significant impairment. I'm, I'm, I stand correct. I, I was not. I missing. I misunderstood your yep. question. On a contempt order, no, I don't. Right. I don't right. think they can. On a a modification file based on the violation of the domicile restriction, mm-hmm. that's where maybe. you get into that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. but again, you get into those those. Factors, proof. yeah, mm-hmm. uh, for the temporary orders under one fifty, one fifty six, something. Uh, it, it, there's, there's a, a, a increased standard, and I think what she would have to do is you would have to somehow bootstrap in that the violation of the, the geo, geo restriction is harming the fit, child. Fit in there somewhere, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which might be a, that might be a task. So interestingly, this Hightower case out of uh, Texarkana 2017, September of 2017, it, uh, this new case uh, basically kind of addressed this point, not on the geo restriction, but this point that we were talking about, that a 
a draft or a proposed order cannot be contemptible. So that's a, a more recent case that, that addresses uh, that issue specifically. Speaking of new cases, there's also a brand new case, March 27th, 2019, out of San Antonio, NRA Caldwell-Bays, B-A-Y-S. We'll post the link in the comments. Um, so that was a standing order case. Uh, and in this case out of San Antonio, the mom was held in contempt for four violations of the standing order and sentenced to three days in jail concurrently criminal contempt plus 180 days civil contempt um, because she was ordered in the standing order not to encumber property yet she entered into an agreement to execute a deed for property in favor of her attorneys so the trial court found that she violated the standing order and held her in contempt so does anybody have any opinions about this case <laughs> Well, I th you keep looking at me, and I know why, because you know about my thoughts on standing orders. And quite, I mean, just simply put, I don't think they're legal. Now, the legislature... At least not contemptible. Not contemptible. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I believe that they're unconstitutional because uh, they, they don't, they're, they're a one-size-fits-all they are not specific. They don't pe inform people of, of what they're doing. You know, they, there's just a variety of reasons. Now, the legislature said, no, they're, they're good. You know, the legislature and the family code authorizes those. And uh, I know a lot of counties have standing orders, and, and uh, uh, there have actually been some appellate cases. I know two out of the Fort Worth Court of Appeals on the Denton County standing mm -hmm. order, uh, Tarrant County, of course, follows the law we don't have standing orders but the uh the not yet not yet <laughs> but now you're again, not on the bench then anymore then again i retired <laughs> december 31st so let's wait and see uh, uh there are two two cases i'm aware of that did affirm a contempt binding on violation of denton county's standing order so uh that's that is not consistent with my opinion but it's you know that's the opinion of the court of appeals yeah well, and I haven't read the standing order that this case is based on, so I'm just assuming some things about most standing orders. But most standing orders say that you can do things to incur, you know, to, to pay your reasonable and necessary living expenses, your reasonable and necessary business expenses, and reasonable and necessary attorney's fees. Mm -hmm. So I, I would be curious to know the underlying situation in this case where she executed a deed in favor of her attorneys. I'm assuming that that was to pay attorney's fees, although it doesn't necessarily say that. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see what this case, uh, you know, if they go up to the Supreme Court or something on this case, because it would seem that, that you know, you can do things in violation of the standing order if it's to pay your attorney's fees or to, mm -hmm. you know, buy groceries with. It'll so. be interesting to see if they uh, if, if they it go goes up, up. Yeah. because the uh, the again I, I I'm not aware of the San Antonio standing order, but I think you're right. Most of the standing orders I've seen around Texas, uh, Dallas, Denton, Wise, several of the counties are usually just a, basically a recitation of what the typical uh, boilerplate TRO. Right, right. The standard and they have a, a few things thrown in there so that who knows yeah 
So in Tarrant County, y'all y'all still do standard TROs. Yep. Um, so just as an FYI to all of the people that are watching this uh, uh, webinar, on my blog, there is actually a, I did a, a comprehensive list of all the counties that have or don't have standing orders. And it's also contained in my book, uh, What You Need to Know About Divorce Law, which is available on Amazon. Back to the program. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so let's, uh, let's see. Are there, um, we talked about child support contempt. What about maintenance alimony? Carrie, I know that you helped me uh, prepare for the Dalton argument a year ago in front of the Supreme Court on this question. So let's talk about maintenance and alimony. What, when is, what is contemptible and what is not contemptible? So if it's Chapter 8 maintenance and it's ordered properly under Chapter 8 and the judge has made finding as to all of the requisite uh, Chapter 8 um, requirements for maintenance under Chapter 8, then it can be enforced by contempt. If it is contractual alimony, then no, you're not getting contempt remedies. Okay. So, so contractual alimony would be subject to other remedies. Contract remedies, yeah. right. Um, possession schedules. Jerry? Yes, they're enforceable by contempt, but they have to be specific. So do you remember um, Judge uh, in Dallas that had the opinion that that the standard possession schedule was not enforceable by contempt, Judge Elder? Do you remember that? I, I do remember that. So Judge Elder <laughs> had an opinion, and I'd be curious to get your take on this, Judge Harris. Judge Elder's opinion was that because the standard possession schedule starts with if y'all can agree on whatever, then y'all can agree in absent agreement, then the standard possession order applies. So his splitting of hairs was that, that you had to prove the condition precedent of agreement or not agreement, and that the fact of that language kind of took it out of contempt land. I never really subscribed to that, that opinion, uh, but I thought it was an interesting one. I'm gonna have to disagree with Judge Elder on that. Uh, he, I, I don't think that. I think that is a is a conditional sort of a thing that you know family mutual agreement. Well, it seems to me that family mutual agreement, by definition, if there's not a or, you know possession, there's denial of possession. That is, there's no mutual agreement. Right. 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 But it might be a point to ask be. when you're proving yeah, something, yeah. proving mm -hmm. up a contempt, to just kind of check that box and say, "Y'all couldn't agree on this." Well, it no. might be that it might be that if you were, you know, if you're alleging and questioning your witness to prove your contempt, perhaps just saying that you you attempted to agree on this this possession, correct? Yes, I did, and then go from there. All right, so let's uh, kind of fast forward a little bit and talk about the difference between civil and criminal contempt. So civil contempt is coercive in nature. Uh, I always like this, to, or I remember it by you carry the keys to the jail cell in your own hand. In other words, you're in jail until you do something, and if you'll do it, then you can get out. Um, criminal contempt is, it looks backwards and is punishment-oriented, um, and it's not conditioned on performance. So um, interesting discretionary good time credit available for criminal contempt, but not civil contempt. Um, probation and early release, again, available for criminal contempt, but not civil contempt. So judge, moving to direct versus indirect contempt. 
<laughs> I've been dying to ask you. I did not warn you that I was going to ask you this question, but I've been dying to ask you. In your how many years as a judge? 24. In your 24 years as a judge, can you tell me how many times you ever held somebody in direct contempt? Or was it so many? Twice. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't wow. think it was it very was twice. many. Yep. Yeah. Um, and did you stick with it to the point where it had to have a hearing, or did you kind of do well, it and then let it off, let it up? I, I held this lawyer in contempt, and I was afraid that she didn't really understand her rights to personal recognizance. So before the bailiff took her away, I said, uh, Miss so-and-so, you do want to exercise your right to make a written request for personal cognizance, don't you? And she said, yes. <laughs> and uh, I refer, her. referred the order, released her on recognizance, referred the order to the presiding judge, the 8th Administrative Region, along with my contempt order for referral to another judge for trial de novo. And the judge of the 8th Administrative Region called me and asked me if I was in any particular hurry for a trial setting. And I said, I was not. And he said, do we understand each other? And I said, I think we do. And, uh, and it went away. The uh, lawyer apologized very sincerely. And I'll be darned if it, the assigned judge never got around to calling. Just went away. I don't know how that happened, but it just did. So in indirect contempt, the difference between direct and contempt and indirect contempt, Jerry? Don't ask me. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you do too. You're being silly. So direct contempt is when the judge physically observes with his own two eyes the contemptuous behavior. In the courtroom. In the courtroom. Right. It's Not at the 7-Eleven. No. And it's not in the hall outside the courtroom. That's the that's the Bonnie Lee Bell case where Judge Bell was late coming back from lunch, and one of the jurors uh, kind of smarted off to her in the hallway that you know, see, something to the effect he wished he could just be anytime you know. Is and uh, she had him brought into the courtroom and held him in contempt. Goodness. And uh, the special court of inquiry said, no, no, a thousand times no. It has to be in the courtroom. It has to disrupt the proceedings of the court. I've always told lawyers, if you want to, if I'm on the bench and you want to talk ugly to me, you tell me you do, and we'll go back to my chambers. <laughs> and you can say, you can say anything you feel like saying, and I'm not going to hold it against you. But if you do it in open court, I have to. Because it, the difference is, at least the way I always looked at it, is you're not going to hurt Bill Harris's feelings, but the judge of the 233rd has to maintain the decorum. decorum of the court. So indirect contempt, then, is things that happen outside the courtroom, outside the presence of the judge, and that's why due process and notice and fair hearing and personal service and trials have to happen, right? <laughs> that's it. All right, so I think we're at 30 minutes. We're going to uh, end this uh, session. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we will come back in a couple of minutes with enforcement, uh, contempt enforcement pleadings, affirmative pleadings, and defensive pleadings. So we'll be right back.